slave to the darkness If it wasn't for the cross You have won me with your kindness Chase me down when I was lost
standing up uh, turn around or look to somebody to your right or left and tell them hello try and meet somebody or say hi to some folks around you I know that we're trying to socially distance and be responsible there so maybe stay away from chest bumps and open mouth kissing just as a general rule for life Once you've had a chance to say hello or uh, introduce yourself to some folks around you, you can grab a seat. We'll share a few announcements together, and then we will dive back into worship this morning. Welcome to the Vine Community Church. Uh, Happy New Year. We are glad that you are here. Um, We are still trying our best to do church with COVID awareness, uh, whatever that kind of means, socially distanced, masks. We still haven't fully opened all, all of our kids' spaces, although uh, that is in the plan. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment, but that is in the plan here in the next few weeks to get some of those spaces open again as we kind of feel uh, we're ready to move forward and do it safely and kind of get back into a more normal way of thinking about church and Sunday mornings. And so, but that'll be coming up in the next few weeks. But we are trying to do that. So we do ask you the best that you can while you're here to wear masks for the sake of the people around you and then to wait to spend a lot of time hanging out until we get outside or outside in a little bit more of an open space, kind of the best that we we can. We do have some stuff coming up this year that we're excited about in the next few weeks. Things that we missed out on in 2020 that we're uh, excited about doing in 2021. On the 31st of this month, we are going to be having a new member class. So for those of you that braved the uh, year 2020 and met outside with us and all those kind of things and uh, or you're interested in joining or what this community might look like. Um, this will be our first new member class in like a year because we didn't have them at all last year because we were literally just holding on for dear life. And so that'll be here at the building directly following worship. We'll have lunch and, and uh, we'll do that new member class. Signups will start next week. You'll also see a post coming out on Realm. Um, so mark your calendar if you are interested in that. It'll be just a couple of hours. We meet right after worship. So um, if you're interested at all, learning a little bit more about who we are, our story, our theology, our heart for mission, all those kind of things about what it means and what we think about when it comes to membership. Because we approach membership a little bit differently, kind of the way we do a lot of things uh, a little bit differently around here. We approach it with the idea of covenant. 
the idea that relationships matter, and so we do a, little, a lot of talking about that and kind of who we are and, and what we expect and what we desire and what we believe the Bible calls us to when we think about covenanting together and becoming a part of a bigger community of Christ followers. So if you're interested in that, that'll be the 31st of January. We'll have signups that start next week, and you'll see those messages. The week directly following, we are going to give it a good attempt to have uh, our child dedication service. So we usually do a couple of those a year. We do a lot of making babies around here, and so typically we have to have multiple ones a year. Um, but we didn't do it at all last year, and this year we also have a lot of families that are like, well, we're not so sure we're coming back yet. So uh, we're going to attempt to have one for those that feel comfortable. I know that Logan has reached out to a lot of our families that have had babies this past year or the year before, and you want to dedicate your kid. We, we, it's kind of a little service where we take responsibility as a church, and we pray over those families, and we ask parents to stand up and, and really proclaim that they're going to honor the Lord and teach the kids about Jesus and all these kind of things. So it's a neat little time for us to make some public proclamations together. If you haven't been contacted and you have had a kiddo or you got a kiddo that's not been dedicated with us, please reach out to Logan or myself and we will get you all connected. Um, but we will do our best to be as, as socially distant as we can um, on the 7th of uh, February. So that'll be coming up as well. Also on that same Sunday, we're going to be opening up some of our Vine Kids spaces. We're kind of doing a slow rollout for a couple of reasons. One, we don't have a ton of volunteers. Most of our volunteers, as you look around, you can see that we are down to a quarter of what our normal attendance is. We've reached out to everybody. Most people are still connected and coming or small groups, but Sunday mornings are hard and everyone kind of feels a little bit differently about gathering in, in groups. And so we totally understand that. But it's kind of devastated a lot of our volunteer base, both with hospitality teams and cleaning teams and our Vine Kids team. So we don't have a full slate of folks. We have to be able to roll out all of our rooms. So we're going to do it slowly. But we're going to start with the toddlers. Uh, that's our hope. And so on the 7th of, uh, of February, we're going to be opening those rooms. And Logan and our great Vine Kids team have developed a plan for that. And of course, it's not mandatory. You're welcome to keep your kids with you. Um, but those rooms will start to become open. And then we'll move into our elementary age and our infants and things like that. Um, our middle school uh, and high school age groups, they will begin to meet next week. So that group meets directly kind of during our worship time. They go in the back, and they're old enough, of course, to wear masks and do all that. But that'll start back up next week um, also. So we're trying to do our best to roll these out. <clears throat> that being said, if you do have a heart, and you, uh, let me rephrase that. I'm sure you have a heart or you would probably not be here. Now, if you don't have a heart, you're a zombie. Um, if you do have a heart for children uh, of any age, whether it's infant or middle school or high school or elementary, and you want to help us out, we really are in need of more volunteers to help with our, uh, our Vine Kids folks. And so please reach out to Logan or let me know, and, and we'll get you plugged in, because we have had a pretty sizable hit to our volunteer base, and nobody's fault, just the reality of the situation we're in. And so we're looking for some folks that want to <clears throat> work with our kids on a, on a uh, kind of a rotating basis. And so if you're interested in that, let us know. So those things are all coming up in the next few weeks, which we're excited about and feel a little bit more normal as we kind of um, move forward. So it's been an interesting year, of course, because usually what happens is at the end of, 20, uh, end of the year, as we move towards Advent, I take a period of time, usually two to four weeks, and we kind of vision cast and dream about the year to come. And so this year we actually didn't do that. We, uh, we jumped straight into Advent. And the truth is I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what 2021 would look like as a church for us and what the Lord is placing on my heart and the things we want to accomplish. Because the truth is I don't really know what 2021 brings in terms of are we going to be in our facility, what, what things should look like, or how are we going to approach mission. And so 
We're going to be looking at that a little bit this year, moving forward in the next few months, as we talk about our heartbeat as a church and who we're called to be. So we're moving that out of place a little bit. But until we get there in February, we're kind of just continuing to move things the Lord is laying on our heart. And I've been really pressed with Colossians 3. This summer, um, I, I kind of went through a few portions of Colossians 3 when we were out in the park and, and doing all that. But as, as I look at this past week, and I realize that just the unrest that settles in our country, the unrest that settles in my own heart even, the unrest that we have culturally, the fact that, you know, 2021, January 1st or whatever is not the option that's going to solve all of our problems, that the reality is that there's just a lot of peacelessness, a lot of unrest. And I was drawn back to Colossians 3, where we really have this call from the Lord uh, that Paul is kind of giving us that talks about the idea of a Christ follower that should be really different from the world. And so this morning what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking closely at that call that a Christ follower has to be a wholly different voice in the world. Um, And it's one that I haven't seen very often. It's definitely one that I don't see in me very often. But it's one that I think we need to understand and address and become if we're going to really truly be the mouthpiece as we're called to be of the Lord as we speak truth and grace to the world around us. So that's where we're going to be heading this morning. And as we do that, let's prepare our hearts to go before the Lord in worship. Uh, Let's prepare our hearts to just go before the Lord and just honor Him um, by laying down our desires and our fears and our anxieties and all those things and asking the Lord to prepare us to worship Him. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we're going to dive back into worship together this morning. Lord, we do thank You for the opportunity to gather here. We realize over the past year that this is not not something we can just take for granted. Lord, there are a lot of folks in our community that, that don't feel comfortable gathering in public, and we recognize that, Lord, and we pray, uh, Lord, that they would create community in other avenues and other ways. We recognize that there are people all over the world, believers all over the world, that don't have the luxury to gather together like we do, even in our own country, where churches may or may not be able to meet in different places, Lord. We realize that the ability that we have here um, is not one that we take lightly, and so we're really grateful to be able to come and sing and open your word and be together. It's such a high value for the community of Christ followers. Um, Lord, it's something that you just push through scripture that we have been called to be part of a community. We are not called to walk this life, this Christian life alone. And so, Lord, we're grateful. Lord, we ask that you would take this time that we have to worship and to open your word and you would transform our hearts with it. We come in here with a lot of anxieties. A lot of us are frustrated and beat down and worn out. We're tired of this pandemic talk and the way school's going or not going and the way work's going or not going or the financial pressures and struggles or just the political unrest that sits constantly on our heads. Lord, we're beat down. And so we ask you, Lord, to redirect our gaze to not on things in front of us, but on things above. To shift our attention to things that matter, to the true supremacy of Christ, that you are in all things and above all things and through all things and all things hold together because of you. And we trust that. Take a moment in your own heart as you sit here this morning and just ask the Lord to prepare your heart to worship him. Whatever you need to turn loose of or let go of or just ask forgiveness for or just ask the Lord to peel off your heart, just do that here in the stillness of these few moments. Just ask the Lord to prepare you to worship him. Lord, you are sovereign king. You alone hold all things together. You alone have given us life in Christ and new life through your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we trust you and we believe 
that you are who you say you are. And so, God, we worship you this morning as the only true king and ruler. We ask you to be glorified in our worship, in your word, and in our communion as we celebrate these truths this morning. We ask this in the risen name of Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. Let's stand together and continue in worship this morning.
seat. So it's been, uh, been quite a week. Just when you think that we can't have any more turmoil or unrest or, or whatever, it, it happens, right? It's, it's the reality of life that it's just sort of you don't know what's happening or coming. And as much as we were waiting for a new year in 2021, the reality is the world is the world. And we're set in turmoil again. And I think about the unrest and I think about all that's unfolding. And I'm not overly sure that it's that much different from what I expected, except for the fact that I wonder where the church is in the middle of a lot of these things that are unfolding. And I have a good friend that's a pastor in Tennessee, and um, he wrote a post like a lot of my friends did. They felt the need to, to write posts or make social media pleas or whatever over the past week and various things going on. He wrote this incredibly beautiful post. It was like five paragraphs long, which is like this giant novel on social media, right? It was, it was lovely, and it was great, and it was about the church is called to be and who we're called to do and all these kind of things and the reflection of things that unfolded at the Capitol and all those kind of things that have been happening um, really since and unfolding since the summer. And it's a great post, and, and, and there's one line in there that had a little bit of a political slant. That was it, and you really had to be looking for it. And a hundred comments later, and arguing upon arguing and shouting and yelling in social media threads later, I just wanted to die for him because it was awful. And it, I was so saddened by it that here is this attempt to, to cry out and to say this is who we're called to be. And, and people can, of course, weed into whatever they want to read into. And they begin to, to exchange the message that he had for their own. And it became a platform of arguing amongst what were really people in his community, people that he knew, people that he cared about, that had sort of hijacked that, if you will, to have their own arguments from their own cyber soapboxes. And I just thought the unrest is so strong. 
And, and I started asking myself, too, in the middle of all this, right, we feel like the church should have a voice. The church should have something to say. And so if we don't, somehow we're missing. And so we tend to shout each other down or at least shout over each other in our attempt to make sure that we said what we were supposed to say. But I think voice truly matters. And this summer I was looking at Colossians chapter 3 in August. And we look at the whole chapter, but there's a few verses in there that the Lord kept drawing my heart back to this week about really, as Christ followers, how our voice is supposed to come across to the world and the power in which it's supposed to carry. And so I thought this morning what we do is revisit a few of those verses that we've been in a time and time again um, that you hopefully find really familiar to look at a little different angle about the voice that we're called to have as followers of Christ, both as individuals that follow Jesus, as families that follow Christ, and as a church that follows Christ, Church Big C. So the book of Colossians, we're going to be chapter 3, and if you recall, Paul had this kind of special love, like he did for a lot of his, his churches, he had this special love for the church in Colossae. It was a small community about 100 miles outside of Ephesus. A lot of people believe that Paul evangelized that town when he was in Ephesus for an extended period of time. And we believe he wrote the letter to Colossians from prison in Rome in AD 62 as a way of kind of reminding them about really three major things. If you look at the whole letter, you'll see that these real three, three things stand out. The first is about the supremacy of Christ. That Jesus is in all things and through him all things hold together. Don't listen to the voices around you. Because the voices around you will shout all kinds of other things. But he says, continue to remember who Jesus is. That he is on the throne, that he is king. And that he is in complete and absolute and total control. The second kind of big portion of of the letter to the church in Colossae is the idea that there's going to be some heretical teaching. You've got to guard yourself for it. It's going to come, and it's going to come from within, and it may even come from the outside, but you need to prepare your heart and guard against the heretical teaching that's going to come. And the third thing he's going to remind them of is who exactly they are called to be and the voice they are called to have as followers of Christ. And so if you start thinking about those things that were happening 2,000 years ago and how Paul addresses them, and you begin to think about the things that are unfolding even in our own lives right now, Those things are really powerfully true today. Like how much do we need to be reminded right now in these moments that Jesus is king? That in spite of whatever's unfolding in the government or whatever's unfolding around us with with work or with COVID or with jobs or with things, that Christ is still on the throne. That he is still in all things and through him all things hold together. How much do we need to be reminded that we're going to have heretical voices around us all the time telling us to look other places for peace? To look towards ourselves or to other voices or other people when truly only Christ is the one that can provide peace. Heresy is really nothing more than teaching that takes us away from the person of Christ. At the end of the day, every great heresy throughout history is just a voice that points us away from Jesus. A lot of them point us back towards ourselves. Some of the greatest heresies in all of history just point back to the person. Me. And how much do we need to remind it in these moments that our voice and who we are as followers of Christ should echo and reflect Jesus himself? So if you have moments over the next few weeks, which I hope you do, I really encourage you to open up the book of Colossians and just say, you know what, I want to read through this. Brandon has us going through this great Bible reading plan, but you can actually supplement that and, and read a few verses of, of Colossians as well. If you're, 
little side plug for that. If you're not joining us in 2021 as we read through Scripture, please do that. Brandon's been posting um, all those, that Bible reading plan online. It would be great for us as a church to read the Word together. But, but visit Colossians. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 and just a few verses. And we're going to pay special attention to the back end of those three things. So the, the, the last one, the, the voice that we're called to have and who we are called to be and how it should change us as Christ followers. So we're going to look at, at three short verses um, this morning as we look at the back end of that call that Paul is reminding these, these people, these incredible group of Christ followers that are living in a really difficult time as well. Um, of who exactly they are in Christ and how that should change the way they live. So let's take a few moments and let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to just gather in this place. We thank you that your word is living and active, that it is sharper than any double-edged sword, that it penetrates the dividing joints and marrow, soul and spirit, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, that your word is your voice. And Lord, an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. It is the Theopunestos, the very breath of God. And so, Lord, we don't take it lightly. This is not a guidebook or a source book. It is your very love letter in life poured out for us. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you this morning. Just, or, or just remind you this morning. Or just something that your soul longs for or needs. Ask the Lord to speak to it. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you or in front of you or behind you. Maybe you don't know them, maybe you do, maybe you haven't seen them in a while, maybe it's your spouse. Just pray for them. Be in the habit of praying for other people. We say this every Sunday. What unfolds here on Sunday morning is always, it's not always about you. So be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for your the demonstrated love that you poured out for us through Christ. We ask that you would teach us and remind us who we are and how that should change how we live. Um, this morning as we open your word and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love having all these kids in here, man. I just get so sidetracked. It's so funny. Whatever Ruby's got going on is amazing down here. I'm trying to figure it out, but um, it's just so good. I was laughing. <laughs> Um, so here are these few verses, right? We're going to look at three and we're going to go 12 through 14. Just a couple of verses this morning, but I hope they're really, really, really familiar. Um, uh, because we've talked about them here before and, and hopefully these are things that, that continue to kind of pour out through our teaching all the time. But this is what Paul said. And remember, this is that last little piece, our voice, who we're called to be, how it should, how we're changed by who God is. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, patience, and gentleness. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. So Paul does a couple of things here. But the first thing he says, I want to remind you of three really important, powerful theological truths about who you are and how you have been changed. And then I'm going to tell you how that change should affect how you live 
and how it should hold all things together. But he says this first. I want you to remember this thing. And he's speaking to the church, speaking to people who should know this but need to be reminded of it. And he says this. There are three things that you have to understand as a follower of Christ that God has done for us through Jesus that should change the way that we see the world, the way that we see ourselves, and the way that we even think. And the first is this, that you are chosen. He says, therefore, as chosen people, as God's chosen people. Now, throughout the scriptures, we see that Israel is known and labeled as God's chosen people. They are the people group that God chose to use and to demonstrate his love to the entire world. And it began with one person, where God chose Abraham and developed a nation through Abraham, called that nation to follow him, and said, I'm going to demonstrate to the entire world what my love looks like through the way that I treat and use you, Israel. And Israel becomes God's chosen people. He becomes their chosen, the chosen nation. And God's entire definition of love and majesty and wonder is poured out through Israel. But something remarkable happens through the personal life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? We know that we are grafted into this family, this covenant family, this non-Jewish or what we call Gentiles are now grafted into this covenant family through Christ. And we become part of this chosen people. That Jesus bridges the gap between us and God and grafts us into this and we become God's chosen people. The important thing to remember about this is that God made these initiative moves. He chose you and he chose me. Which means that we do not show up to God on our own doing. You will never find your way there. We will never drift our way into the Lord. We will never find God at the end of our mental journey or our exercise of scholarship or moral leanings or whatever it is. We will never wind up there. God does the calling and God does the choosing. It's God's move. He is supreme and He is sovereign. And God chose you. So in the middle of life that's hard and difficult, in the middle of struggles, the great reminder is this. You are not an accident. God made a move in which he declared you his, drew you unto himself, and he calls you his. You are chosen. And he's reminding these church, these church people, this group of followers of Christ, that God has chosen. That it's not an accident they found their way there. In other words, if God chose you, he has not forgotten you. So, therefore, you are God's chosen people. He says you are holy. The second thing he puts out there is that you are holy. We've talked about this a lot. The idea of holiness actually comes from the, uh, a place in Leviticus where God's people are being told to be holy because God is holy. And the idea of holiness is not one of moral piety. It's not one of living perfectly moral and doing everything right and never making mistakes. A lot of times that's what we think holiness is. Holiness is actually the idea that comes out of Leviticus about being set apart. It's a Hebrew word, that, it's the word kadosh, which really just means to be set apart for a special purpose. So when God says, therefore be holy because I am holy, he's saying, you are set apart for a holy purpose because I have called you. So when he says that you are chosen and you are holy, he says, I have called you out of this world and I have set you apart for a holy and specific purpose to be used by me. You are not called to be morally perfect. You are called to be set apart so that God's power may be demonstrated through you. So you are holy and you are chosen. And then finally he says you are dearly loved. 
And we know that God loves us, right? That's God's very nature. We learn in 1 John that God is love, but it becomes a very mechanical thing for us. God loves me because that's who he is and he has to. And we somehow remove the emotion and passion from the idea that you are dearly loved by the God that created you. The actual better translation than dearly loved is the idea of beloved. That God calls you his beloved. That he sees in you and calls you something that's so much greater than just the idea of saying, oh, I care about you or I love you. That you matter so deeply to him that God chose you and he sets you apart and he cares for you in the middle of whatever it is that you're walking through, going through, whatever failings they are, you are dearly loved by God. You cannot outrun that beloved nature. You cannot out-sin, out-fight, out-struggle that beloved nature that God has for you. Now, all of these principles we've talked about, but they're really important because once we realize that these things are true, they should change us completely. If we truly understand that God has called me, that I didn't do anything to deserve it, that my own sinfulness set me up for destruction, but God called me anyway, redeems me through Christ, sets me apart for a holy purpose, and tells me that he deeply loves me, it should change me. It should change the way that I think, the way that I see the world, and the way that I live. Because it is not about my doing and my power. It is about the incredible majesty of God that called me out of the world and says you are valuable and that I love you and I created you and I made you and I'm going to use you for a holy purpose because you are my beloved. And Paul says because of these things, now listen, because of these things, your responsibility now is to do something very significant. If these things are true, you have a responsibility. And that responsibility, Paul says, is this, to clothe yourself. But the, he says this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself. And then he lists five things that we're called to clothe ourselves with. Now, this idea of clothing yourself is a really cool image, right? Because the idea of putting clothes on takes effort on your part. When you woke up this morning, you took an effort to put on whatever it is that you wore here. You could have come naked, but you didn't. We're really, really glad you didn't. But you could have. But you decided, for a lot of reasons, to put on clothes. And it took effort. You had to figure out what weather was like, or what we're going to wear, or what, what's clean, or what I can pick up off the floor, or whatever it is, right? It took effort. But you had to put one leg in, and one arm in, and you had to clothe yourself. And clothes are interesting, right? Because it's what we show to the world. It actually says some things about us. Now, we've taken this a little bit extreme with our materialism and brands and all that kind of stuff. But just stick with me on the simple point, which is this. What people see on the outside of us makes a difference. If you come in here wearing a burlap sack, we would think something different than if you came in here wearing what would be what we would consider normal clothes. But our clothes speak about who we are. If you're wearing a tuxedo, it tells you you've got something fancy going on, you know? Or maybe you're just a fancy guy. If you're wearing a Speedo, it tells you you're going swimming or it's just really weird. But the idea is that these things matter and you have to put them on. And so Paul says that because you are these things and God has created you to be these things, your effort matters. And here's what you're going to have to do. You're going to clothe yourself with some very intentional things that have been given to you by God. In other words, God has given you these things and you have to put the effort in to making sure they become visible and powerful in your life. And the first one he says is compassion. He says because you have been chosen and you have been set apart, and you are dearly loved, you have to take the time to put on the gift of compassion which God has given you. And compassion simply is this. 
It is the understanding of the hurt of another person and the desire to relieve it. That's the greatest definition of compassion you'll come across. The understanding that somebody else is hurting, doesn't matter who it is, with a deep desire to actually relieve it. And if you think about compassion, that we're called to actually look at the people around us and realize that they're not perfect. And there are people in this room and in this world and across the city and across this nation that are hurting and that are deeply hurting. And that we are called as Christ followers to have a desire, to put on a desire to relieve that pain from them. When we talk about the Lord's compassion, this is what he's referring to. That God knows your suffering and has a desire to relieve it, that he wants to remedy it. And we are called to wear that same virtue that's been given to us in Christ. Which means that how you see the world should not be how flawed every individual is. And how arrogant they are, how upset they are, how wrong they are, how politically wrong they are, whatever it is. But instead to see them as people that have been named by God that are broken and that are hurting. And inside your soul in a deep place to long to see them made whole. Compassion. Instead of anger. Compassion. Even to people that are hard. You've got to clothe yourself, he says, with compassion. He says you also have to clothe yourself with kindness. A lot of times we think kindness and compassion are the same thing. They're very different. Kindness is actually a generous orientation of our heart towards other people that don't deserve it necessarily and won't love you in return. So if you think about kindness in this, it's a, it's a general orientation of your heart towards people, generous in the way that you think about your actions, your material things, love, whatever it is, a generous orientation in your heart towards other people that may not deserve it and that may not love you in return. In other words, kindness is not something you just do to people so you can get something back. Kindness is a, a genuine part of your orientation of your heart. And you have to put it on. It doesn't come naturally. It's been given to you by Christ because he has set you apart and made you new and called you and redeemed you through Jesus. He has given you these things and we have to physically work and emotionally work and spiritually work to make sure that we're clothing ourselves with these virtues that God has given us. Compassion. To look at other people and want to relieve their pain. To have a generous orientation of your heart towards the world and people in it, knowing full well they may not deserve it and they may not love you back. That's kindness. He says, compassion and kindness and humility. Humility is that, that part of us that's not trying to make ourselves feeble or lowly, like, oh, I don't deserve that or not taking credit for that. Humility is actually just an orientation and understanding of who God is compared to who you are. And when you recognize the greatness and grandeur of God and the deep sinfulness of your own life, humility is a natural place to fall. Because you realize that you don't deserve anything. You didn't get any of this on your own. God chose you. You didn't win because you are so morally right that God said, Man, Treb, you are, you're pretty awesome. You should join our team. It's not any of that works. The reality is, is that I was, and still am, deeply broken and sinful and left in my own devices. I'm a complete disaster. It will hurt everybody around me, including myself. Yet God continues to love me and has saved me and rescued me, and I don't deserve it. I don't deserve it any more than you do. And when I realize that God in his infinite, incredible beauty and wonder doesn't throw me out 
then humility begins in that place. And when I realize that I'm no different than whoever it is across the street, no matter what they did, because I'm one situation away from doing whatever sin I think is un, I'm incapable of. I had a great mentor in my life tell me that one time. He said, listen, the truth is, whatever it is you think you can't do, murder, adultery, you list them off. Whatever the bad ones are that you think, you put yourself in one situation and you are capable of anything. So don't think yourself so morally perfect that you can escape the sin that you judge everybody else with. The reality is, we're all there. Humility is the understanding that you don't deserve anything. Every breath is a gift, and therefore, who am I? So clothe yourself with that idea of humility. He goes on to say, clothe yourself with gentleness. Gentleness is that part of you that cultivates this thing in your heart that doesn't want to act or treat people with anger or harshness or hurt them. It's like that part of you that learns how to hold an egg or a butterfly in your hand, knowing full well that you have the ability to crush it. But not only do you not want to, you choose to treat it gently. You've been given the gift in your life of having other people trust you with their heart and their feelings and their thoughts and their vulnerabilities. And you have the ability to crush them. You have the ability to wield incredible power over your spouse, husband or wife. Incredible power over your children. A lot of you have power over people. You have the ability to react harsh or anger and angry or, or crush. But gentleness is the part of our spirit that God gives us. It says, not only do I not desire that, but I'm going to act in a way to where I don't hurt you. That I learn how to guard your heart as well as mine. And I learn in a way not to embarrass you or shame you or belittle you. Yeah. Read comments on social media, right? The gentleness of the voice of the church is absent. The last thing he says is patience. Clothe yourself with patience. Patience is interesting. Because patience is that part of us that in the middle of suffering, when we're bearing suffering and struggle, we're without complaint. And when opposition comes, we wait upon the Lord. That's what patience really gets to. It's not just about not lashing out at somebody else. Biblical patience is really the idea that when suffering comes, we, we stand in it without complaint. And when opposition comes, we wait upon the Lord. Look, we all want this to be over. Every single one of us does. Nobody wants to walk through this anymore. But we can sit here and moan and complain about it for days upon days upon days. And we can carry that spirit with us. And we can infect people with it. By talking about how bad it is and how awful it is and how much we wish the year was over. Great, we all do. But patience is that part of us that says, Lord, I will sit here without complaint and I will wait upon you. I'll wait upon you. In the middle of suffering, in the middle of struggle, because I believe that you are who you say you are. So this is where Paul gets us to. He says, these, th these things are true about who you are in Christ. You have been chosen. You have been set apart. You are holy and been set apart 
for a bigger, incredible purpose. And you are dearly loved. And because of that, it should change this part of you, these virtues that God has given us. You have to physically and spiritually and emotionally work to put them on so that you can demonstrate to the world who you truly are in Christ. Not perfectly, but because God is going to empower you to do it. But you have to put the pants on. You have to literally go through the motions of saying, I'm going to reorient my heart to focus on what God has promised me. And I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be patient and gentle and I'm going to live in humility. And then Paul says there are two things that this leads us to. One, it leads us to bear with one another and to forgive each other. So gentleness and patience, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So he says, listen, if this is truly who you are and who you should be and how you're living, then you need to bear one another's burdens. You know what that idea is? Share the load. That you should be working to be in a place where we are in something together with people. It's why community is so incredibly important to the Christ follower. Because you were not meant to do this alone. You were meant to do this by bearing burden with each other. Which means if you're struggling, if your marriage is failing, if you're having a hard time, reach out to people and shoulder loads together. But you know why we don't? Because people don't treat us or often react with compassion and kindness and gentleness and humility and patience. And so we have learned to not be vulnerable. We have learned in the church to hide our struggles. We have learned to guard our hearts in such a way that's not healthy, but to pretend like everything is fine because the church is not the safest place to be. You don't believe me? Try walking through a church as you go through a divorce. Watch what unfolds. Watch how many people you know that have been wounded by the church or people in it over the years. I've told you this before. Some of the greatest hurt in my life has come from within the walls of the church. People. But the reality is the call is that we have got to change our orientation so that we can bear each other's burdens with those things in mind. Compassion. Look, I'm sorry you're hurting. I want to do anything I can to walk with you and help take it away. The kindness. Look, you don't have to love me back perfectly, but I can be nice to you. And you may not deserve it. Maybe you're a jerk. But I'm called to love you anyway, in a different way. And yeah, I have power. I could gossip about all the things you've told me behind your back. But I'm going to choose not to. I'm going to choose to be gentle and caref careful with you. And I'm going to be patient and I'm going to be humble and all those kind of pieces. I'm going to bear with one another. And then he says this, and forgive any grievances you have against one another. I find this powerful, man, because the truth is most of us carry a lot of unforgiven grievances. And they're not just with people in the church. Look at your family. How many of you have a broken and difficult relationship with your mom or your dad? That you've been hurt or wounded by a sibling or by someone you care about and you just can't bring yourself to truly forgive them. And so what that leads to, of course, is resentment and resentment leads to death. But Paul says that literally you have to forgive the grievances you have with one another, which we're all okay with, as long as you meet my demands. 
I will forgive you all day long as long as you come to me and you say, Trev, I am so sorry I hurt you. I'm doing everything I can to change. That was a mistake. Hey, will you forgive me? You know what my response is 100% of the time? Absolutely. But not until you do that. Because my forgiveness has conditions. And so does yours. But listen to what Paul tags on the end of that. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Uh-oh. See, that's different. Um, because I did nothing to deserve the forgiveness of the Lord. In fact, I actually did more awful things and God continues to forgive me through Christ. I actually chose myself again and again. I actually made horrible decisions and my mind went places it should never go. Even when God told me he loves me and cares me and calls me to something else, I basically give, well, care and thought only to myself. And yet God continues to forgive me. And then he says, forgive each other that way. Which means your mom doesn't have to come crawling back on her hands and knees and beg for your forgiveness for you to release what you are holding her to. That's hard. That person that hurt you and wounded you does not need to eat crow and get what they deserve in order to come back so that you will forgive them. You are called to forgive the grievances you have because Christ forgave you and he calls you to forgive them in the same way. And there is absolute and total freedom in forgiveness. You will find your heart set fully alive when you let go of that resentment. And the last thing Paul says, and we'll wrap it up with this, he says, you take all of these things and you bind them together with love. In other words, they are not independent actions. Oh, God told me to be nice to you. I need to be nice to you. God told me to be patient. I need to be patient. God told me to forgive you, so I have to. That's not done in love. It's done out of spite and oftentimes done out of habit. And it's just as sinful as not doing it. But when you live these things and you do these things out of love, which is where the center point of Christ is. They become an expression of the majesty of God. So why do I forgive you? Because I love you. Even though it's been hard and you're not always great to me, I still love you the way that Christ loves me. We may never get along, we may never be best friends, but I, I do love you and I desire for your heart to be made whole. Why am I kind to you? Because in my most arrogant, awful days, Jesus was just kind to me. Why am I patient and gentle with you? Because when Christ could have crushed me, he chose to restore me. And I love you in that same way. You see how love binds these things together in what? He says in unity. I look at the voice of the church across the platforms that we have, whether they're cyber platforms or written platforms or wherever, even just in conversation, I wonder if the voice of the church is actually heard, the voice of Christ falls. I'm not preaching weakness and tolerance. I'm preaching biblical kindness and compassion because it is absent from so many of our conversations. And if we want the church to be heard, it needs to be heard with the voice of Christ. And that's not weak and tolerant and waving the gospel down to meet whatever need there is to meet. The idea is simply this, that we live and act differently because of what Christ has done for us, which changes our voice completely. 
which means my first reaction is not to react. My first thought is not to shout down. My first thought is not to win the argument or get my point across. My first thought is not, I want you to see that I'm right. My first thought is always Jesus in me. He has called me, he has set me apart, and he has told me he loves me, and he has called me to put on these things, compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Is that evident in what I just wrote on my social media post? Is that evident in the conversation that I just had with my dad or my children or my spouse or my coworker? Are those things evident? Is that voice of Christ heard in me? Do I need to release and forgive and work to bear the burdens of the people around me that I love and care about? And is all of these things, they bound together with not duty, not habit, not because I have to, but because Christ loves me and that love has penetrated my very soul. So this demonstration that we have is poured out on this table, right? This is the expression of that love poured out for us. If we see these things, these are things not that we do on our own. They're things that Christ has empowered us to do and has given us freely when we surrender our life wholly to him. We celebrate communion here at the Vine Community Church once a month. We try to do it on the first of the month, but whatever. It's close enough. And the idea is simply this. This is a, a, a reminder and a great powerful part of our worship experience that binds us together. And not just in this room, but with, with believers across space and time. This is the gift that Christ gave the church to remember that we are bound together by a common and true love of Christ. Which means this is the tool that no matter what church you go to, whether it's two blocks up or ten states away, the church believes this truth that Christ died and shed his blood so that we might have new life, that we are bound together with those that go before us and will go after us. It actually unifies us. This is the love that binds us together. On the very night that Jesus was betrayed, on the night that all of his followers would flee and they would run and they would desert him, on the very night that he would be handed over, put through a sham of a trial, ultimately crucified, Jesus gathered together with his disciples and after they had had their meal... He gave thanks and he took this loaf of bread and he said, this bread is my body and it is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after he took the bread, he took the cup and he said, this cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you. That as long as you take of this bread and this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. You are reminding yourself and the world around you of the incredible, supreme, and majestic love of Christ, the saving love of Jesus. This table is not a denominational table. It's open to all who profess faith in Christ. But it is that. It is a table for those that call Christ their Lord and Savior. It is the binder um, that holds us together in great unity. During this season, we're taking communion, well, Corona communion, which is prepackaged, come up, you'll take a juice and a bread, and you'll return to your seat and take communion on your own. We encourage you that as you 
pray and spend time and just open your heart before the Lord as you're ready to come down and just grab it and then return and remain standing and we'll close our time in worship together. We do have gluten-free option available if you need that. Just let me know. Let's take a moment and let's pray and then we will share in this meal together and close our time in worship. Lord, we are eternally grateful for the fact that we did nothing to deserve your love. Not one single thing. In fact, everything that we did drives us away from you pushes us away from you, separates us from you because of our sin. Yet in your infinite, incredible wisdom, Lord, you sent your Son to give us life. That if we put our trust in Jesus, we're saved. That you moved and drew us to yourself. That you set us apart and called us dearly loved and call us to live wholly different. Lord, this table is this incredible reminder of what I could never do for me. And so, Lord, I pray that as we celebrate this meal together, Lord, you would remind us all of who we truly are in Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' holy and risen name. Amen. As you feel called and led, come down, uh, take some bread and juice, and then return to your seat, and we'll close our time in worship together.
his own death did he save us Jesus who was without sin on the third day was he raised up life by the power of his will so as to sin we've died in Christ we've been made new my very heart and soul are singing praise to pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather and share in this meal together, but more so we thank you for the truth that is behind it. The reality, God, that you are in absolute and total control, that you are sovereign, that you loved us enough to call us, Lord, to set us apart and to call us your beloved. Lord, we close our time in worship by celebrating those truths and knowing they should change us, empirically change us, the way that we live and the voice that we have to echo the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. Let's close our time in worship this morning.
how we respond. My heart remains filled with the hope that is living. Yes, my heart remains filled with the hope that is living. This is why. Cause your promise never changes and this hope will never fade. It's kept in heaven for me until the end of days. My heart remains filled with the hope that is living. Sweet Lord Jesus, your life Amen. My prayer is that you would go from this place empowered by those very real, very incredible truths, right? That you have been called, that you have been set apart, and that you are dearly loved. That would change and impact how we live, that we would alter the way that we think so that we are living with these virtues that Christ has given us, that we are compassionate and kind, and that we are humble and gentle and patient, that we would bind those things together with love as we bear with one another and forgive as Christ forgave you. Go in peace.